Hello and welcome to the latest Celtic View podcast. I'm delighted to be joined this time by Jerry McCulloch, who is head of TV and digital media at Celtic Football Club. A grand title, Jerry. That is indeed. And, uh, <laughs> a grandiose. A job, job with a lot of responsibilities, but it's uh, it's been a heady first year for you. You know, being in charge of the TV and digital media the year we won the double treble. How has it how has it been as an experience for you? It's been a, a, a fantastic experience. Thanks very much for for inviting me onto your podcast. It's it's been a fantastic experience. It's been it's been busy, as you know. It's been extremely enjoyable, um, as you know. It's um, you know the 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 media side of things inside the, the TV and the you know all the social media is um, it's a, it's it's relentless. It's it's twenty four seven. But when you see the positive reaction that 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 you get from the fans from the output coming from the pitch and from from some of the things that we do then it makes it it makes it all worthwhile so it's been an absolute whirlwind of a first season for me it feels like it's only been about a month never mind a year and we're already into season number two i didn't quite realize just when you work in the external media just how many games there are even though you work in them all you don't get that sense because the, the preparation for each game here is so intense and there's so much that goes into it i suppose when i worked on the radio you worked on game day and that's when you kind of switched on if you like but here it's every single day it's relentless Christmas time there's no time for a break it gets even busier and then the season ends you then have a big party to organise hopefully um, right up to well in case of this year it was Scott Brown's testimonial and then it just feels like a couple of weeks to refresh but you're still working and then we're off again and I suppose you know you mentioned you know supporters we get to be in the inside of our club mm. and, and report on some momentous moments in that day when we won double treble. Just to be part of that, to be hammed and then back here for all those post-match celebrations, these are things that, that will live with us forever. It, it, it's incredible and, and on the day, I mean, you were lucky enough to be on the on the bus itself um, on the way back. I was unlucky enough to have to leave Hamden at half time because we had the celebrations and I knew that I had to be back here at Celtic Park to, to welcome the team sort of live on the stage outside the Celtic way so on the one hand you've got your professional head on which thinks okay half time or 2-0 up I better go and think about work but then you've got your supporter heads thinking why am I leaving Hamden when your team's about to win a double treble um, but but yeah it's, it's, um, it is a job at the end of the day and you've got to keep your professional head on now, I've asked when we, we have a guest on, we ask them to choose five memories, and that memory can be a, a game, a goal, or mm. a player. So you've chosen a, a culmination of, or a, or a mix of, of all of them. The first of those memories is the 1980 Scottish Cup final. Robert to take it. Well away by Dawson. There's Sneddon. Tom Forsyth, still not clear. Danny McGrain. Oh, that's a goal! McCluskey got the touch from that shot. There was a deflection. One nothing for Celtic. Billy McNeil right out telling his players to get on with it. Well, Celtic won that one, 1 0. George McCluskey, extra time goal. What age were you that day? And What's your memories of, of watching that game? Well, well it's funny because I, I put this one on not not so much because the memories were so vivid, but or, or the memories were so were so much. But when you're a young kid supporting Celtic or, or beginning to support a football team, in my case Celtic, I was I was eight at that time. So I wasn't really young. You get people who, you know, come to their first game and they're carried in because they can't walk yet. And you know, they have a season ticket. Um I, I lived in Saltcoat, so I didn't often come through to, to, to the big city 
um, back then. But but those early memories are always so vivid. I remember my very first game coming here to Celtic Park. It was 1979. It was a league home game against Hibs. And unfortunately, we got beat 1-0. My dad said he would never bring me back. Um, but those early memories of, you know, walking up the steps and seeing the pitch for the first time, they, they, they remain forever. And that, that game in particular, I wasn't here. I wasn't at Hamden for the game. But I remember sitting watching it in my, with my dad and I think my uncle and a few of my dad's friends in one of their houses and just just watching them and how much it meant to them and, and, and how... It was just everything, the emotion attached to that game and, and the fact it was such a close game. And then, of course, the the late winner from, from George McCluskey or Danny McGrain, who, you know, you want to fight over who it was that, that meant it. And then, the you know, all the, that happened at the end with the fans and the riots on the pitch and whatnot. It wasn't so much that. That's what stands out historically in people's, people's memories. But for me, it was the very first big trophy that I remember Celtic winning. But I remember seeing just what it meant to the people who were close to me and almost being hooked by seeing the emotion around the people and thinking, wow, this this means so much to people. And then myself getting hooked after that. And I suppose for, for younger listeners, maybe not grasp the fact that there was very few live games on TV then. The Scottish Cup final was one of one of those. So it was a big occasion. If you weren't at the game, and particularly if you're younger, maybe didn't get a ticket, mm. you know, a, a live game of football on TV was such a rarity. So it was a big occasion in itself. And, and it, it wouldn't matter what game it was. I mean, a live Celtic game on TV was un, was unbelievable. But, but you're right, any live game on TV back then was incredible. I used to remember, as you say, we didn't get much on TV. I used to remember um, listening to a lot of live football on the radio with my dad and we had the radio in the kitchen and we used to turn the lights out and put the radio on and put our heads down, close our eyes and imagine that you were at the game. You know, that's what you had to do back then. And I, I don't think it was really until kind of maybe the time of Football Italia where you, you started getting regular live football. But you're right, young young kids just sort of take that for granted now. Yeah, never had it so good. <laughs> no, you're, you're Best days of your life. <laughs> we sound like a couple of old codgers. Yeah, we are. Stadler and Waldorf, I think, from the Muppets. <laughs> um, the second memory, it's it's a, a player, and uh, that player is Paul McStay. Rogan's on the run. It's Gary Mackay. Rogan in a very good position here. Oh! Went beyond everybody. It's in. McStay, the equaliser. Now, when I asked you to, to list your five moments, and when you sent me the list... All you said was Paul McStay, need I say more? Now, for the benefit of the podcast, you do need to say more. But <laughs> I, I, I know what you mean because for, for any of us who were lucky enough to see Paul McStay, he was just world class. Mm. He was majestic. The, the first time I actually saw Paul McStay was in an under-15 Scotland game. Um, I went to see him play, I think if my memory serves me correctly, it was at the home of Ardia Rovers in Stevenson. And at the time, my dad used to take me to a lot of the kind of youth games. He was he, he he would sort of he claims now he was trying to protect me from the kind of you know the 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 kind of male bastion of professional football and all the bad language and, and cursing and whatnot. And he still doesn't believe that I was only six and a half when he took me to my first game because that seems to go against everything yeah, that he tried. Right. So I used to go to a lot of the youth games, particularly the, the, the Scotland youth games. And I remember this player that that everybody was talking about at the time. And it was Paul McStay. And he shone so well for for on the international stage. Remember the goals he scored against England for, for Scotland at the under fifteens. And I remember in the looking at the programme of these young Scotland players and they would always show show you which club that they played for. 
And I remember seeing this player, Paul McStay, and he's the, the, the club Celtic was next to it. And I remember thinking, he's one of us. Wow, this is incredible. So I was always interested in following him. And, and it was it was just an, an inevitability that Paul McStay would become such a, an important first-team player for Celtic. But he was, he was just majestic. There was something about Paul McStay who just seemed to be on a different level from the other players on the pitch. He could see a pass that no one else could see. Some of his goals, if you, if you were to watch a Paul McStay goals compilation, you would think he was one of the best finishers from outside the box. But in actual fact, he, he missed a lot of chances. And when he did score, it was it tended to be a spectacular goal. But he was just on a different level. The pass he played to Chris Morris across to McAvenny for the famous uh, goal in the centenary year. Yeah, it was the New Year Derby. It was, was a typical example of, of Paul McStay. But he was everything about Celtic and the fact he was, you know, a one-club player. He lived and breathed Celtic. But he was this one player that you could just imagine playing in any top league in Europe. There was something just silky about him. He was just on a different level. And I always wonder, when I look back at footage of someone like Paul McStay, and you, and you see, particularly as the season goes on, the, the state of the pitch. Mm. I mean, at times there was barely a, a bit of grass in these pitches, and yet these guys, as you say, are so graceful and majestic, and, and their touch is brilliant. And you wonder if you transpose them to the present day when you look at the Celtic Park pitch throughout the season, what he would have been oh, like on it, that surface. And you know, the other thing that's, that stands out for me is is um, the joy on his face when he when he would score a goal, or not even when he scored a goal, but when the, when the team would score a goal. Another one of my heroes growing up was Kenny Dalglish, and I, I'm just a little bit too young to remember him playing for Celtic. I used to love him at Liverpool in Scotland, and similar to Kenny Dalglish, when they when they scored goals, there was nothing kind of cool about it. I'm going to take this moment, arm in the air. It was just pure joy on their face because of what it meant to them. Now, your next couple of moments both uh, feature Paul McStay. The first of those is uh, one of the, the great title triumphs, 1986, Love Street, Albert Kidby. No question about it, Celtic are certainly playing like champions. Lars Deacon testing Tom Wilson. Makes his way to the byline, here's Gordon McLeod, now McStay. 'll also features one of the greatest goals I think you'll ever see oh, the third one. yeah unfortunately we can't really mention the goal scorer <laughs> but everything up to that is absolutely yeah. brilliant it was it is funny you've no idea the number of times that I've wanted to show this goal on Celtic TV and you think oh, I think, no I can't I think you still have to because it's, as a team goal hmm. when it starts on the edge of our 18 yard box the the movement the passing and the finish it was just it's almost perfection it was that that day was was perfection Celtic needed to win by four goals at least Hearts needed to lose at, at Dens Park. Um, and somehow the fairy tale, as, as Billy McNeil would, would say, happened that day. My memories of that day weren't so much about being at the game, because I wasn't at the game. I was at, My memories, again, are listening to it on the radio. Um, I remember listening to the Celtic game upstairs in my room. 
And at the same time, my dad was listening to the Hearts Dundee game downstairs. So now, as you know, it's famous that when Hearts, uh, when Dundee scored, you could hear the roar at, at Love Street. And I remember at that point, so Celtic were already 4-0 up at, at half time. All we needed was a was a Dundee goal. So I was listening to the game upstairs, my door closed in my room, my dad was listening to the other game downstairs. So of course, as soon as Dundee score, he comes running out the living room, running up the stairs to tell me that Dundee have scored. But of course, I know that Dundee have scored because I've heard the roar. (laughs) Jim Stewart picked that ball up and you hear the roar. So I've come running down the stairs to tell him and we've met halfway on the stairs and just start jumping up and down and hugging each other um, because we know what's happened. It was just so, not so much unexpected because you still had a lot of hope going into that day. But again, just talking about the similarities to the 1980 Cup final, seeing that emotion, and that was one of the first times that I remember, you know, because the 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 trophies, the titles were, were few and far between at that point, and I remember just feeling that joy um, when that Dundee goal, I've never celebrated a Dundee goal more in, in my life, feeling the joy when that goal went in and, 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 and what it meant, and then getting a chance to see the game back later on in the highlights and just seeing just how dominant Celtic were. Another thing about that, they also played in my favourite ever Celtic strip. Yeah, the lime green. The lime green one. The shorts that didn't match. Yeah, which was just, (laughs) I loved that strip. I I had it and I wore it all the time. Um, That was a really, really special day. Do you think, you know, talking to you about some of your memories, you know, radio plays a big part. Mm. And for a lot of us, obviously, because there wasn't a live football, so a lot of us, we would have listened to the games. Do you think that gave you that kind of sense that of appreciation of radio and live broadcasting the importance of it when it came to your, your own career as well? I think it, prob- it probably did because for me, you know, in your formative years, football and Celtic came side by side with a, a form of media because I didn't I, I didn't come to many games back then. I started coming to more games when I became a, a sort of mid to late teenager and could come myself. That's when I started coming to more football games. So I suppose at those early years when you're kind of forming thoughts and your personality and your character, then, then yeah, um, the football and the passion was was told to you by by someone else. So I suppose it's interesting you mentioned that. I've never thought about that, but that that is very true. Very Cause deceptive, also, Paul. Because also, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's not my first time doing this. <laughs> but also, I think as well, people... You know, you have a title of, as I say, head of TV and digital mm. media. But I think once you come into this department, you become a, a kind of almost like jack of all trades. So, yeah. for example, last season you you would have been doing match commentary as well, mm. which again goes back to that idea of you're mm. then delivering also a visual but also an audio commentary to yeah. perhaps the next generation of Celtic supporters. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very true, and 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 that's a real joy to be able to do that, and it's a real privilege to be able to do that, and I suppose to kind of put myself in the in the same seat in the same shoes as, as these guys back then who who gave me such a passion a passion for the game is a, is a real joy now the next moment and it's it's a season as opposed to just one moment the 1988 uh, centenary season good play from Paul McStay two men waiting in the box there's McStay looping it across to Rogan on the far side it's back to Billy Stark appeals the handball against Goff it's still not clear for Rangers there's Paul McStay. Paul McStay with the opening goal. 21 minutes into the second half. The Celtic end goes wild. A superb strike by Paul McStay. It's only his fourth of the season. But it was McStay who won that ball on the right initially. 
looked over the cross. Anton Rogan nodded it down. There was Billy Starks of appeals for handball. As the ball was then scrambled out from the head of Graham Roberts. Then nodded down again by Morris. There was McStay and Woods was You mentioned in particular the Cup semi-final and final, which I think maybe epitomise that kind of never say die mm. attitude of the team but I think for a lot of us that's always going to be one of our favourite seasons it is and it came I mean my, my dad was lucky enough to be in his early 20s when Celtic won the European Cup so there are certain things that come when you're kind of in your prime as a, as a fan um, so it was 88 I was 16 so it, 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 it just it was one of those seasons where I know I, I've heard Billy McNeil talk about it I've heard um <clears throat> Packy Bonner talk about how it was kind of written at the start. Now the players had to actually go out and do it, and and it, there's absolutely no doubt that they, <coughs> excuse me, that they worked so hard to achieve what they did. But the centenary year meant so much to the supporters that year. And you mentioned the never say die attitude of the of the Celtic team. That there is nothing better than a last minute winner. There is nothing better. Which is what always puzzles me why people leave the game oh. early incredible there is nothing better and we had it so often it was there was a <coughs> it was a case back then where you would go a goal down it was almost like that was what happened you went a goal down and then you thought all right here we go let's let's settle down and, and watch Celtic come back and win it we seem to do it so often against Dundee United as well go that goal down and then come back and, and beat them 2-1 like we did in the final the semi-final was a game which really did go to the wire I mean it took the full the full squad, the substitutions, Mark McGee coming on to turn the game. That was a game that, that went so, so close to the wire. And I remember my um, my dad bumping into Roy Aitken. Um, we were kind of from the same neck of the woods after that game and, and basically saying to him, oh, you, you left it late. And him saying to my dad, listen, no, we always knew we had it. We always knew we had it. It's easy to say with hindsight. Isn't <laughs> it? it is, I know. Um, but the final was just, a, it was the perfect cup final. A gloriously sunny day. You go a goal down. You've already won the league. You're going for the double. And there's Frank McAvenny pops up with, with, two, with two late goals. Um, the, the pictures that I can see, I can see... Instantly, I can see Billy McNeil reacting at full time. I can see, I can see Peter Grant hugging him. I can see Tommy Burns' face. I can see Paul McStay's face. You can just these are real Celtic men, and you saw just exactly what it meant to them, what it meant to them. And as a 16-year-old supporter, it was just it was it was heaven. And I suppose when you look back at that squad, it was the obviously before Fergus McCann's takeover, but also before a lot of players came in from different countries and the game of football changed. Mm. So that team was predominantly. Scottish, even the Irish guys would mm. have just been absolute Celtic fans. But it was just a team full of fans, that idea of the supporter who was lucky enough t to play. But they would have all been on the terraces cheering on if they hadn't been playing that day. That's the thing. And, and there was a real sense. I mean, Tommy Burns, at the end of the cup final, famously you know, pointed to the Celtic fans. He says, they're here, they're always here, and, and God bless every one of them. And, and it's true because, and he epitomised that, if he hadn't been on the pitch... He'd have been in the stands. Same with Peter Grant, same with Paul McStay, same with Billy McNeil. These were guys who, they were doing it, they were doing it for themselves, but the, you really get the sense back then they were doing it for the supporters, probably more than, than nowadays. And that's no criticism of the players, it's just as you say, that they don't have that emotional connection to, to the club or to the fans or sometimes even to the country. But back then, that, that was so, so strong and you really got the sense as a fan that these players were doing it for you. Now your fifth and final moment, and, and when asked, uh, you'd originally chosen another one from, I think it was the 1995 Cup Final, but then I said, 
what about maybe choosing something mm. from, from your season here? I was quite interested in your choice. The, the, the one you chose was the Champions League games against Bayern Munich. No bit on. 30 yards from goal. Can he play in Armstrong? He can. Armstrong just trying to find Rogic. Just had to come back to get the ball. Now Forrest in a dangerous area on the edge of the box. Played it forward to McGregor. And a Callum McGregor has found the net for Celtic. 74 minutes on the clock. And Callum McGregor makes it Celtic 1, Bayern Munich 1. Magnificent, absolutely magnificent. Celtic just not giving up there. They put the defenders under pressure. McGregor's got the ball, just clipped it by the goalkeeper into the net. All square. Well, you could sense something was beginning to happen. And it was great play when James Forrest on the edge of the area. What a pass from Forrest to find McGregor. And Callum McGregor, has he scored a more important goal for Celtic? Well, he's certainly not scored on a bigger stage than this. And you can hear now that the Celtic fans are urging the team for another one. I'm intrigued, actually, <laughs> because... Because we lost them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, you know, particularly the game here, we played really well. We're really unlucky to lose that game. But I was just interested why you chose mm. those two games in particular. There the are two, two moments. I mean, the I suppose in terms of when you... When you asked me to think about it, since I've been here, I, th- I thought about the fact that you're working within the club and the you know the, the privileges and the opportunities that that can afford you sometimes. So I looked at that rather than from a supporter's point of view, how a supporter would feel. And the two moments that do stand out were, was the Bayern Munich. I was lucky enough to be able to share some of the commentary with you last year in the Champions League, and it took me to the Allianz. And and you'll know you know yourself that the easiest games to commentate on sometimes are the biggest ones because you don't need to try and create an atmosphere. You don't need to try and work out who these players are on the ball because they're famous players, you know them anyway, and, and you get a chance to kind of sit back and relax and, and enjoy the atmosphere and, and even get caught up in it. Um, fortunately, it's Celtic TV, so we're allowed to get caught up in it to a certain extent. And I remember sitting there with, with Mark Henderson, your Celtic View colleague, who was the co-commentator that night, about 20 minutes before kickoff, looking at a full Allianz, the, the the light show had just happened. We had a perfect view of the pitch on the halfway line, looking down. It was a Champions League group stage, some of the biggest names in, in world football. And we were here, and I turned to Mark and I said, Mark, this is, this is it. This is just awesome. And at that moment just really struck me as, wow, this, this is... It was, I suppose it was like back to those early days when I would listen to people on the radio and whatever, and I just got a real sense of a sense of awe that I was in that position. But then actually doing the job, my favourite goal that I commentated on last season was Callum McGregor's at, at here at Celtic Park against Bayern Munich. Unfortunately, Munich went and scored afterwards. But just the sheer excitement, Murdo McLeod was next to me and he started losing it as a supporter, even though he was working at the time. If you listen back to the commentary, you can hear someone screaming, that's Murdo McLeod <laughs> next to me. Um, and just the, the, the feeling that day of, of being there, being involved, working, contributing to such a massive goal, not just for Callum, but for the whole club in that moment was, was something that really, really stands out for me. And I suppose as well, you, you know, if, that moment, you can go back to when you're younger and some of the early moments that you chose there. You're sitting beside a guy who you had watched. He was there on the create, pitch, 86. Create, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you're, he's creating some of those moments. He was a great player for Celtic. You're now walking beside him. You get to know him. He gets to know you. And, and that's one of the 
maybe sometimes one of the unseen privileges that we have. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And, and sometimes you do have to pinch yourself. I mean, you, you know, Tom Boyd, is, you know, you sit with him most weeks and, and he comes into the studio and does a lot for Celtic TV, does a lot for the club and the, and the foundation as well. And sometimes you do have to kind of pinch yourself and think, this is the captain of the guy who, who stopped at 10. You know, these are these are Celtic legends. And, and you know, sometimes the fans are, are quick to forget certain things in, in the past and... and it is sometimes you do have to pinch yourself. I mean, I remember sitting not far along from where we sit in the main stand when we're lucky enough to commentate on these European games. I remember sitting when John Collins scored a couple of goals against Cologne the night here when we won 3-0 after being 2-0 down in the first leg. And to think that that young boy is now sitting up there and actually working here, it's it's. I have to pinch myself sometimes. Living the dream. Kind of Living the dream. <laughs> now, in terms of, obviously, you, you mentioned right at the top of the show, it was a whirlwind first season. We're already into mm. to the next season. So in terms of Celtic TV, what are the, the plans? What's your, your hopes for the season ahead? Obviously, a lot of it's dictated by yeah. how well the team does. But obviously, you know, you're constantly wanting to bring new things to the audience, an audience that's spread throughout the world. Yeah, absolutely. And t- I mean... It, the Celtic TV output is kind of split into two. You've got the you've got the live match day, the live games, which which the subscribers um, usually outside the UK and Ireland get to see and they follow. So so they're very much in tune with what happens on the pitch, and we we like to try and make our broadcast around that as professional as possible. Um, and it's been great to introduce some new faces um, last season. Um, you know the likes of you know Simon Donnelly, Mark Wilson, Mark Butchell, and and Murdo McLeod, and they'll continue to work alongside myself, yourself, Mark, Tom Boyd, um, in the kind of match day team. Um, as well, which is which is great. Um, over and above that, the aim again is to just try and keep the content fresh for those within the UK who don't get the the competitive league games. It's all about keeping the content fresh, keeping it unique, giving us something, giving the fans a little bit of a of a of a look into to behind the scenes at the club as as much as they as much as they can, as much as as we can allow, because obviously you know some of the you know the pictures and the information is is quite sensitive when you're in a very competitive environment as this is we're hopefully going to do quite a bit more live programming this year live studio based programming which allows us to be more interactive with the supporters because i think it's that's important as well if you're a subscriber to a service or a supporter you want in this modern day and age to be able to contribute your own opinion opinions are everything so we're going to try and do a lot more live programming some more opportunities for fans and subscribers to 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 be heard um, as well as just to, to watch. We look forward to that and hopefully, fingers crossed, another historic season on the cards to report on. Can you imagine a treble treble? I, I do occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, Jerry, for joining us on the latest Celtic View podcast. It's been a pleasure. 